You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my hosts as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fuck him. That's what Flavio says as he hangs up the phone with Massimo Romagnoli. Fuck him. After DEA agents arrest Flavio, he agrees to help them lure Massimo to Montenegro. He told me that the client had brought the money to Montenegro. Here's Massimo, or rather, the voice actor who's been reading Massimo's court testimony. And so we found an agreement so that I would also go to Montenegro to collect the money. I informed him that I found a ticket for Podgorica, Montenegro, and we would meet there. The next morning, Massimo flies into Montenegro. Right after passport control, I was arrested by the police. U.S. authorities announced the arrests of Flavio Georgescu, Christian Ventilla, and Massimo Romagnoli on charges of conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. The terrorists, in this case, were Juan and the other FARC guys, who were, of course, not really terrorists, but DEA informants. Under federal conspiracy law, a defendant doesn't have to help actual terrorists. The defendant just needs to think he's helping terrorists. While the arrests don't get much attention in the U.S., they're big news in Romania. Bună ziua, Virgil Flaviu Georgescu a vândut arme către, grupa, către gruparea FARC. S-a întâmplat în urma acum doi. And in Italy. Con la giustizia americana. Così Massimo Romagnoli, dopo 20 mesi di carcere e un processo durato pochi giorni. Flavio, Christian and Massimo are all about to be extradited to America to face federal criminal charges. If convicted, all three men could spend the rest of their lives in prison. I'm Trevor Aronson from Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. This is Alphabet Boys.
Episode 9. Tomorrow, I'm going to rob the bank. Flavio, Christian, and Massimo are thrown into holding cells in Montenegro until American officials can sort out their extradition to New York. At first, Flavio isn't too concerned about any of this. He couldn't persuade the DEA guys who arrested him that he's working with the CIA, but he helped them lure Massimo to Montenegro anyway. And besides, Flavio figures, the DEA and the Justice Department will talk to their counterparts at the CIA and everything will be sorted out soon enough. They'll all realize that Flavio's on their team. How else could they explain the call to the CIA in 2012? Good afternoon, how can I help you? Hi, my name is Flavio, mm-hmm. and um, I was born in Romania, but right now I'm, uh, I'm a US citizen. And, uh, right now I'm in- Flavio, as you know now, tells the CIA agents everything about Andy, about Juan, about the arms deal, about the whole crime before he actually commits it. It's like you call right now 911. You let them know tomorrow I'm going to rob the bank in Fifth Avenue, Citibank in the corner. This is my social security, my name, my plates on the car, my VIN number, and I have this shotgun and I have this one. It will be 9 o'clock. You going to go tomorrow to rob the bank? You have to be nuts, totally nuts. Flavio's analogy works. It's hard to argue that it doesn't, honestly. Who would be crazy enough to call the police, tell them the entire plan to rob a bank, and then go rob that bank? That's essentially what Flavio did, but with a much more serious crime. His was an international arms deal worth millions of dollars and involving the FARC, at the time, a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization. To Flavio, in the immediate days after his arrest, this all just seems like a temporary misunderstanding. The CIA didn't know what the DEA was doing. And neither the CIA nor the DEA knows about Flavio's previous work for the FBI. So he stuck temporarily in the muck of bureaucracy. But eventually, he thinks, the feds will figure it out. We're talking about Americans here. While locked up in Montenegro, Flavio says he receives several visits from U.S. officials. They're with the State Department, or so they say. They was keep coming from Washington to interview me, and the warden from that prison, he was asked me who you are. And I said, I'm nobody. I'm just a a consulting businessman. And uh, he said, no, you are not a consulting businessman because these people, they come with a private jet and it's the State Department private jet. And sometimes they come escorted by U.S. military jets. I said, I don't know who they are. And they came over there for four or five times. I give them all the information about arms laundry and everything. And they let me burn over there like an animal. By left him over there like an animal, Flavio is referring to the conditions of his cell in Montenegro, where he stayed for a little more than two months during the winter of 2015. I was physically and psychically tortured over there. Like, 
they opened the window from the cell and they keep it open day and night. There was so much snow outside and I couldn't close it because it was so high and uh, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. And uh, uh, they keep the lights on all the time. There was so much noise over there. I couldn't sleep. And when I was trying to use the bathroom one time, when I got there, uh, I was sitting on the toilet and a rat jumped from the toilet on my butt. I start to scream so bad and they came inside with a broomstick and they killed the rat over there in the toilet. They break the toilet to the, the ceramic toilet and uh, they left. To this day, Flavio tells me he can't sit on a toilet. He has to put his feet on a seat and squat so he can always keep an eye on the water below him. Another rat's never going to surprise him. Flavio says he couldn't understand why all this was happening to him. A good man thrown into a cold, dark cell in Eastern Europe. I've mentioned already that I struggle to determine what's true in Flavio's story. I really do. I find myself wanting to believe his claim that he called the CIA because he felt a duty to help. See something, say something, Flavio believed. And certainly there's evidence that appears to support this. Why else, as just one example, would Flavio have agreed to lure Massimo to Montenegro? No strings attached. The most reasonable explanation, to me, is that Flavio believed he was on the same team as the DEA. But then, there's something else that throws me to the other side, questioning Flavio's story. And that is Christian Ventilla's account of what happens next. In late February 2015, following their detention in Montenegro, Flavio, Christian, and Massimo are flown to New York on a private jet. Flavio is seated next to Christian for the eight-hour trip. He told me that previously, during the activity in this deal, he called the CIA and informed them about this activity. This is Christian from his court testimony. He told me that the CIA's answer was not to get implicated and mind his own business. And he also told me that when he, we got arrested, he told the agent who arrested us the same thing. So during the eight hours, he told me that Based on this, we should build a story that we weren't trying to do a deal with them. We were just trying to collect information to give it to the government so we can use it as a defense. Christian claims that Flavio, on the plane, tells him that he knew the CIA didn't want him to get involved. Christian suggests that Flavio's intent was to use the CIA call as a cover story, in case he ever got caught. But Christian's story is suspicious too, because apparently he doesn't know that the CIA call is ambiguous. There are no clear-cut, don't do anything on this, instructions from the CIA on the recordings. The call didn't happen the way Christian claims Flavio described it. So, if what Christian is saying is true, why would Flavio 
say this? It doesn't really make sense. So Christian's claim just raises more questions. Questions I can't ask Christian because he won't talk to me. I don't want to do this thing, and I only want to tell the truth. And actually, that's what I told the agents in the plane. In any case, Christian refuses to go along with Flavio's plan to sync their stories as part of a joint defense. He told me if I don't agree to work with him in this way, he should, I should help him too, because he worked previously with higher agency than DEA, and his wife is running around trying to get in touch with those agencies. That, that agency he worked for is going to save him. Christian is referring to the FBI. Flavio tells Christian that not only had he called the CIA, but that he had previously worked for the FBI, an agency with a much bigger stick than the DEA has, and that the FBI would help him out of this jam. Flavio tells Christian, as they're on the flight, that his wife Andra is burning up the phones as they speak, trying to enlist the FBI's help. And that last part? I can say with certainty, that part's true. I was working for the Attorney General's office in New Mexico, and I get a phone call from Flavio's wife. This is Mark Pinto, the FBI agent who was Flavio's handler in Las Vegas. By this time, Mark's left the bureau. He hasn't seen or talked to Flavio in a decade. And he doesn't even know that Flavio is now married. I have a different telephone number, and Flavio didn't have a wife. So I'm institutionally paranoid. I'm like, I can't talk to you. And she goes on and she's pleading. And I said, I, I'll have to think about this. Right after that call, Mark gets another from the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. They want to talk to him about Flavio. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about Flavio. I don't want to talk about the old days. I don't want to talk about anything. I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I don't want my house burned down for whatever reasons. Or I don't want the ire of the U.S. government. And they go, well, the U.S. considers him a terrorist. And I'm like, all the more reason. I don't want to be the, you know, former FBI agent that's taking the stand in defense of a terrorist in some DEA case. Because I don't have any of the details. And I haven't seen Flavio in forever in a day. And they asked my opinion. I'm like, well, my opinion is if it's the same Flavio and nothing's drastically changed in his life, he got railroaded. But that's my opinion, my, my uninformed opinion. But as any good investigator would be, Mark's intrigued. He wants to know more. So he flies to New York to meet with the prosecutors. More after the break. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last on the business. I understand now. 
She's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Mark Pinto, Flavio's former FBI handler in Las Vegas, meets with the prosecutors assigned to Flavio's case. They lay out the whole case, how Flavio recruited Christian and Massimo and attempted to sell weapons to Juan and his colleagues, who, Flavio believed, were agents for the FARC in Colombia. The prosecutors tell Mark about Flavio's call to the CIA and claim it was nothing more than Flavio creating a cover in case he was caught. And when they laid out everything, my opinion hadn't changed. I, the Flavio was the same that he loves the United States, would have done anything for him. He would, have, he would have sacrificed his life for this country, for what it stands for. So you think it's credible, the story that he says he called the CIA to not to, I mean, the government says that was a cover, right? But Flavio has maintained that he really 
thought he was reporting a crime and was helping the U.S. government. So you're, you're putting me in a tough position as you sit there with your arms crossed, the way for me to answer truthfully. Because um, I don't want to go contrary, because I don't know what the prosecuting attorneys know. Not really. And I was afraid when I heard that Flavio was going to be locked away forever and the key thrown away because they're pretty serious charges. And I felt terrible because there's nothing I can do about it. To be quite honest, there's nothing I can do about it without risking my lifestyle and my wife's lifestyle. What Mark means here is that he was fired from the FBI. Remember when Flavio first met his handlers, he brought some bottles of wine as a gift? And there was a big argument until Mark agreed to accept the wine. That was against FBI policy. Mark's willingness to break the FBI's small administrative rules eventually caught up with him, costing him his job. He considers testifying in Flavio's trial to describe how Flavio worked with the Bureau in Vegas and how that might help explain his behavior with the CIA. But in the end, Mark chooses not to come forward, fearing that he would open himself up to questions about his FBI career. It's a decision that, years later, haunts Mark. I'm retired, and what I do in retirement is I take my father to church, and I go to Bible study, and I study the Bible. Gnostic exegesis of Paul, this kind of esoteric stuff that give people headaches that you drone on and on about academically that, that no one cares about. And what's common through all that is it's like people shouldn't be prosecuted unjustly. And I found myself standing outside with a lot of guilt on my shoulders because I'm not the man I'd like to be. And it's easy to do the right thing when it doesn't cost you everything. The end result of all this is that Flavio is on his own. Facing trial, Flavio doesn't get help from Mark or anyone at the FBI. The Bureau does the bare minimum. Handing over internal reports that support Flavio's claims of having been an informant, but the FBI does not offer anyone to testify about Flavio's substantial cooperation. But Flavio does get help from an unlikely group of feds, the CIA. Remarkably, and I want to emphasize how unusual this is, the CIA turns over two recordings. The calls from 2012 between Flavio and the agents. This is remarkable because the CIA rarely gets involved in U.S. criminal prosecutions. The agency is a black hole. Very little light escapes. The CIA could have reported that it didn't have recordings of the calls Flavio claims to have made. And that would have been the end of it. No one would have had the access and authority to prove the CIA wrong. So that fact, 
that the CIA turns over the recordings voluntarily, I've always interpreted as a kind of message. While the agency might not be taking ownership of Flavio, there's someone high up inside the CIA who's basically acknowledging, hey, there might be something to Flavio's story. Those transcripts and that call, I think, was saving my life. Flavio takes this theory further. He thinks the CIA knows he's innocent, but the agency is hamstrung. So, in Flavio's view, agents release the recordings as a way of helping him and his case. It's the best they can do. The only obligation from CIA was just the, the moral obligation towards to me because they see me in the situation in which I end up. You know, they said, you know, probably he did his part. Let's, whatever he said, he did it. Let's prove. But I can't prove this. All of this is speculation. The CIA declined to make anyone available for an interview and refused to comment about Flavio's case. For their part, prosecutors don't appear to see any message from the CIA's release of the recordings. Instead, they double down on Flavio. Flavio, Christian, and Massimo are detained at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, a sand-colored high-rise federal detention facility in Lower Manhattan that looks like it popped out of the pages of a dystopian comic book. Several famous people have been placed behind bars here, including mobster John Gotti and Ponzi scheme artist Bernie Madoff. This is also the facility in which Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide while facing child sex trafficking charges. Inside the jail, Christian immediately cuts a deal to cooperate with the Justice Department. And then, amazingly, Christian and Massimo are assigned to the same cell. Massimo, at the time, is distraught. He was often crying. That's what Christian witnesses inside the cell. Massimo, curled up in the corner, sobbing. Christian suggests to Massimo that there's something he can do to get out of this situation. I told him that I signed a cooperation agreement. And Massimo confirms that. He was telling me that he was cooperating. Christian encourages Massimo to join him in cooperating with the government. Around this time, Flavio approaches Massimo in detention. As I was passing by the library, he saw me and he ran after me as I was going towards the infirmary. And he said, Massimo, I want to talk to you one minute. And I told him, tell me, what do you want? Massimo, we have to cooperate. Our lawyers have to cooperate. Flavio tells Massimo about the CIA cause. He told me that he was a cooperator with the CIA. Massimo wouldn't commit to anything. Remember, Flavio's the guy who lured him to Montenegro to be arrested. So the next month, Flavio makes an indirect appeal. An inmate by the name of Ash, who worked in the library, told me that he had a message for me on behalf of Flavio Georgescu. He was advising me to cooperate with him not to accept any deal if it were to be offered to me, and not to accept or cooperate with the government if it were to be offered to me 
and not to forget that I was the father of three children, and that only my working together with him, I could go back home. In Massimo's view, Flavio's message is unambiguous. A clear intimidation. Flavio acknowledges that he asked another detainee to deliver a message to Massimo, but he denies it was any kind of threat. Flavio says he was appealing to Massimo's desire to be reunited with his family, and he believed joining forces in a defense strategy was the best approach for both of them. He says Massimo framed it as intimidation to make him look bad. And Massimo understands me because I tell him, man, I work for CIA, I help them out. You didn't do anything wrong. I didn't let you. Massimo was most to get some money. And I didn't let him to get money from Juan. I didn't compromise him in any ways to put him in prison. And I said, man, you didn't do anything wrong. Just let me do the work and we present the facts, the evidence. We're going to walk away. We're going to be okay. Don't worry. Be strong. But Massimo doesn't go along with Flavio's proposal. He takes Christian's advice and sides with federal prosecutors. Massimo signs an agreement to plead guilty and testify against Flavio in exchange for leniency at sentencing. And in the spring of 2016, the Justice Department puts Flavio on trial. That's after the break. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was we'll it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School... I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it. Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The government's case winds up being solely focused on Flavio. He's the only one on trial. Both Christian and Massimo agree to plead guilty and testify against Flavio. The words you've heard from Christian and Massimo, read by actors. I was reading for Christian. And I was reading for Massimo. Come verbatim from this trial. None of the others involved in the case, including Massimo's German contact, who arranged for the end user certificate, or Peter Manchukov, the Bulgarian who owned the weapons factory. None of these people are charged criminally or compelled to testify. And nothing happens with the other Georgescu, Andy. Andy, 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 you're killing me, brother. Andy Georgescu was on hours of DEA recordings, and he played an integral role in connecting Juan with Flavio. The guy never called. Why isn't Andy charged? It's a question that has long frustrated me, because I can't get answers. Over the years, I called Andy and sent him emails and letters. I even left a note at his office near Los Angeles. He never responded. And in 2020, Andy passed away from lung cancer. Flavio's theory is that Andy was actually an informant for the FBI, something the DEA didn't know during their investigation. So when the arrests happen, according to Flavio's theory, the FBI protects Andy and prevents his prosecution. If that's true, man, three informants thinking they're working for three agencies in one enormous clusterfuck. You're certain that that Andy was working as an informant? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Flavio has no evidence to support this claim, and neither do I. But I have to admit that it's the most plausible explanation for why Andy is neither charged nor called to testify in the case. Flavio has zero doubt that Andy was a snitch and that someone powerful protected him. Did you ever get proof of that, or you just feel that given the circumstances, he had to have been? Uh, I was one time in his uh, uh, office, and uh, some FBI agents came over there, 
And, uh, you know, he was showing so much arrogance and so much power. You cannot do that if you don't have a backup. It's impossible to verify Flavio's claim there. And I've accepted that I won't find the answers about Andy Georgescu, at least not anytime soon. But there is one other Georgescu, Andra, Flavio's wife. Hello, Flavio. Andra is captured only briefly on the DEA's recordings. She answers one of Juan's calls to Flavio in September 2014. Yeah, okay. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Andra says she had no idea what Flavio was up to during the DEA sting. Flavio didn't tell her anything. And she assumed his travels with Christian and Massimo were business as usual, just Flavio being Flavio. But after Flavio's extradition, Andra moves to New York and helps him mount a defense, never doubting her husband's story that he was working with the CIA. In May 2016, just before Flavio's trial is scheduled to begin, Andra sends me an email. The main reason for this email, Andra writes, is that I want to reveal the outrageous conduct of the U.S. government and how a U.S. citizen is treated after he helped this country so many times. Andra also reaches out to my colleague, Murtaza Hussein. He and I write about Flavio's case for The Intercept in 2016, and Murtaza attends Flavio's trial in Manhattan. There was a deep sense of ambiguity around this entire case from beginning to end. This is Murtaza Hussein. So there was clearly a kernel of doubt on both sides, and it just seemed to come down in the end to which doubt you saw as stronger. At trial, Christian and Massimo both testify against Flavio as part of their deals for leniency. And they both claim that Flavio was the mastermind of the weapons deal and suggest that Flavio's calls with the CIA were nothing more than an insurance policy, a cover if he was ever caught. Flavio, attempting to counter that narrative, takes the stand in his own defense. His lawyer asks him, do you regret what you did? No, never, and I will do it again, Flavio answers. What he means is that he doesn't regret trying to help the U.S. government. If I walk, I will do it again, Flavio says. He was very insistent and emotional, actually, on the stand that, yeah, he said the entire time I was doing this for the benefit of the United States. I love America. I want to do something to help America. So on the stand, he very much appealed to his own patriotism and love for the United States. And uh, I thought appealed to the court and to the jury as well, too, on that score. And he seemed quite sincere, but there was no real way of substantiating it in great detail because the only evidence that there really existed that this what he was thinking was the one call he made to the CIA to try to report what was happening when he was being entrapped. So they played that tape in court. These guns, they don't go in the United States. They go to Colombia, but the thing it is, no, uh, you I, know, you want me to investigate something? I understand what you're, yeah, you're passing to us, and I, I do appreciate why you're, you're telling us. It's definitely something that if we can verify would be of interest to the 
to the agency to be aware of. And that was the crux of his defense. I think it was enough to raise doubt about it. So it was some doubt. During cross-examination, the prosecutor, Elon Graf, suggests that some of Flavio's behavior during the weapons deal, such as using encrypted messaging apps, indicated that he was trying to hide what he was doing from the CIA. Flavio raises his voice in protest. Bring the reports, Flavio barks back, referring to the transcripts of his calls with the CIA. You have the very report, Mr. Graf. Why don't you bring the report in front of the jury and show them? Flavio reminds the jury that he had told the CIA about the entire crime before it happened. And he got quite upset. He got quite emotional. I remember he yelled a bit and he was, you know, fighting for his life. On May 25th, 2016, the jury comes back with a verdict. Guilty. During Flavio's trial, I asked the DEA for a comment. A spokesman declined to comment specifically on Flavio's case, but defended the agency's narco-terrorism stings in general. Quote, We go after folks that are drug traffickers, arms traffickers, whatever the case may be. They are predisposed to criminal acts. All we do is allow the means to give them the opportunity to commit these crimes they would otherwise commit without us. These defendants have every opportunity to walk away. On December 2nd, 2016, Flavio returns to court for his sentencing hearing. U.S. District Judge Ronnie Abrams offers Flavio an opportunity to make a statement before he's sentenced. Flavio faces a maximum penalty of life in prison. My actions were to help the United States government and the citizens of the United States, Flavio tells the judge. I have always maintained my innocence. Judge Abrams sentences Flavio to 10 years in prison, a fraction of the life sentence she could have given him, and what seems like an acknowledgement of ambiguities, if not some doubts, in the government's case. So Flavio is sent to a prison in Maryland. This call is from Flavio Georgescu. An inmate at a federal prison. And that's when Flavio and I start talking. This goes on sporadically for a few years. Calls like this one. Until Flavio is released in the summer of 2022 to a halfway house in New York. Where Flavio and I finally meet in person. You know what I pray every night? To somebody to come to me, shake my hand and said it was a misunderstanding. It's not your fault, it's not our fault. That's in the next episode. This is Up in Arms, season two of Alphabet Boys. Alphabet Boys is a production of Western Sound and iHeart Podcasts. The show is reported, written, and hosted by me, Trevor Aronson. For more information about this series, or to drop us a tip, head to our website, alphabetboys.xyz. You can contact me on Twitter or Instagram, at Trevor Aronson. The show's Instagram is alphabetboys.pod. If you're enjoying Alphabet Boys, tell your friends about the show. 
personal recommendations are the best recommendations. And if you want to see an illegal arms deal from the inside, again, it's alphabetboys.xyz. You'll find undercover recordings and documents related to Flavio's case. Finally, you can help us ride the algorithms by leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other people find us. And thanks for listening. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.